Jason Scores, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. Today's episode is going to be on something really not political at all, talking about stocks and financial sanity, and a little on cryptocurrency, which is the opposite of financial sanity. And this is something I know quite a lot about because I actually have degrees in finance and economics. I have some friends and colleagues who are incredibly advanced and literate in all things finance. Uh, I have a lot of direct experience because all the things that I'm going to be talking about, I have been practicing for the last 25, 30 years in terms of my own savings. Um And, you know, why is this important for a kind of a podcast with a political bent? Well, you know, the warriors, which you all are, who are fighting for a better America and a better world, I want you all to think clearly about your finances so you're taken care of and you're secure so you can fight for the long term. Because remember, everything I'm talking about is long term stuff. Um, To get the world we want is not going to be the next year, the next election cycle. This is, you know, decades. Uh, A lot of this stuff we probably, sadly, won't even see in our own lifetimes. Um, But maybe our children and grandchildren will get to enjoy the fruits of our work for a more sane uh, and livable uh, reality. Now, of course, there's plenty to talk about. As America descends closer to fascism every day, and most Americans remain in a zombie slumber, completely oblivious to what is happening. And uh, I'm going to come back to all of that shortly, but again, kind of wanted to do this one on, on kind of finances. Now, since the last episode, though, there was another insanely gruesome mass shooting of children, and as a new parent, that hits particularly hard. Right. Um, You know, I don't even want to get into where the mind goes when you think about stuff like that. I don't have anything to say on that episode in Texas except one thing. And this is a larger point. Right. So this this episode in Texas was the second mass shooting of children, innocent children in school. The first was Sandy Hook. And I want to just state a fact. Since Sandy Hook Massacre, we in the United States have radically loosened gun regulations. So yes, you heard that right. We have radically loosened gun regulations since children were massacred. And the right-wing fascists on the Supreme Court are poised within the next few days, weeks, months to go even further and weaken gun regulations. So let that sink in. After innocent children were gunned down in school, the collective response in the United States was to weaken gun restrictions across most of the country. Not everywhere. A few places like where I live in California, we passed stronger gun laws. But by and large, 
the majority of the population's legislatures weaken gun laws. The Supreme Court has weakened and continues to weaken gun laws. And so we have a more dangerous situation today in 2022 than everything, than, you know, than ever before. And that tells you just about everything you need to know about America. Because actions are all that matters. Thoughts and prayers don't mean shit. They're an insult to anyone with half a brain. So I will revisit some of those gruesome and sad topics in the future through various channels. But let's move on to the topic of the day, which will get us completely off of that um, that rabbit hole. So talking about finances, most people in the world lack basic financial literacy. And this hurts them a lot because planning for retirement is extremely consequential, right? Who knows how long we're all going to live? Knock on wood, we all live to 100 or more. But let's say, you know, you know, even if you live to 85, 90, 95, you know, if you retire at 65, that's 20, 30 years where you need some, you know, retirement income to make sure you can live comfortable. And this is a time when you're vulnerable and you're probably going to have a greater health care costs, right? And so that those last 20, 30, 40 years to have basic financial stability is incredibly consequential. Now, in most of the developed world, this lack of financial literacy isn't as devastating as it is in America since there are strong social safety nets and people are generally looked after in their old age. So if you're a complete financial moron, but you live in Germany or Denmark, you're not going to be that bad off because you're going to be taken care of with the state systems that are in place. Obviously, in the developing world, a lot of people who are poor, they both lack the the social welfare systems and they just don't have a lot of money to put aside. And, And, you know, if you, you know, it's not the topic of today's podcast, but that's why in a lot of these areas, people have more kids because if you have more kids, hopefully one of them will have enough money to take care of you or, or collectively. But I really want to talk more from a developed country standpoint, and particularly America. Now, in America, where pensions barely exist anymore, and where Social Security payments are pretty measly, and Social Security's future is pretty shaky, people are much more dependent on their personal financial decisions and the consequences of them. So speaking to mostly an American audience here, this stuff is really important. Although, again, this stuff that I'm going to talk about is important for every, anybody. I want to be clear here. I am not giving direct financial advice, but just trying to give basic principles of financial sanity, of financial literacy that you all can do with as you see fit. But I think if you, if you really meditate on them, will help you think about planning for for retirement. A quick note on Social Security, since most Americans are completely ignorant about this program, you know, I talk to young people who think it's not even going to be around when they retire. I literally talk to, you know, I'd say, no, three out of four young people say, oh, I don't even think about Social Security. But even people I talk to in their 40s and 50s, like, oh, I'm not even banking on that. In some ways, that's good, because if you if you get yourself set up, Without needing Social Security, then Social Security is just going to be gravy on top and a little extra cushion to give you a little extra benefit. 
But I want to be clear here that most of these views of Social Security are wrong. So let's talk about the facts. Under the worst case scenario, the Social Security Trust Fund, which is what's paying out a big portion of Social Security benefits right now, will be depleted in about 12 years. I think the projection is in 2034 that it will be depleted. After which, the program will only be able to pay about 77% of promised benefits. So this is the key thing. People think that when it's depleted, it goes to zero and the program goes bust. That's not true. right? What Social Security is, it's taking money from current um, workers and giving it to retirees. So even after the trust fund is depleted, Social Security will be taking in you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in that 6.2% that's coming out of everybody's paycheck in the first 140 grand. And so that means that if nothing is done to shore up Social Security's finances and you are currently promised about $2,000 a month when you retire, that will decrease to about $1,500, right? And that's the worst case scenario. The chances that Congress doesn't do anything to you know, help fix the finances is pretty low. It's not impossible. Our Congress is so fucking dysfunctional that it's not impossible that they would just say, fuck it, you know, Social Security's cut by 25% and, you know, we're, we're not going to raise taxes or anything. That's certainly possible, but I don't think it's likely because of the political backlash, right? Now, as to fixes for Social Security, um, the most obvious is simply to raise the, the, the max taxed amount, which is very low. This is, again, a fact. Social Security is an incredibly regressive program. The lower classes pay a much greater share of their wealth as payments are capped on the first 140k of income. So this means if you make $140,000 of income, you pay the same in Social Security as someone who makes a million dollars in income, $10 million in income, $100 million in income, a billion. So literally someone who makes a billion dollars pays the same Social Security taxes as someone who makes 140k. Right. So this is the insane regressivity. So if we just raise that bar, if we said there is no cap, you know, you just pay six percent of whatever income or raise it to 200 grand or 300 grand, whatever. That's the easiest way to fix that shortfall that's coming in about 12 years. So anyway, um, you know, worst case scenario, Social Security will pay about three quarters of what you're promised right now. So it's not disappearing. It's going to be there, and I think it will be fixed. Now, since most people don't have pensions, you know, Social Security is a relatively paltry um, amount, and that means that people need additional savings to rely on to be comfortable in, in their old age. And so how to save is the key question, right? And again, I'm not a financial consultant. I'm not telling people what to do with their money, but I'm just providing some pretty, you know, well-founded, basic financial literacy and financial sanity principles for you to consider. Um, Now, the first thing I want to note, and this is important, is that I use the word savings, retirement savings, not retirement investments. And this is because most of the things that people think are investments aren't really. And also the way you go into this, if you think you're investing, you're kind of thinking about profit and assets and, you know, and making a killing. And 
I think if you think about it as savings, you're a lot more humble and a lot more relaxed about it. And I think that makes a big difference going into it. So let me explain a little. So first, when a private company, right, let's say Beyond Meat, right, that's the plant-based burger company. They were a private company. They had private investors. And they then decide to go public and go on the stock exchange and have an IPO, an initial public offering. Right. When they do that, they they put out their finances for public view so everyone can see how much money they have, how much assets they have, how much income they have. And that's what's required. Private companies don't have to share that information with the public. But when you go public as a requirement for people to invest in you, you have to make that stuff widely available. Then you make this IPO and you sell X millions of shares to the public. Those first people who buy those shares are directly investing in the company. They're, you know, so so Beyond Meat started at about $60 when it launched its IPO. That $60 went into the coffers of Beyond Meat, right? And that's why companies go public. They say, if we have a great product and we show our finance and people are going to love it and we can sell shares and we can get tens of millions, hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars in investment, um, we can use that to, um, you know, to expand the company. After that IPO, literally, the moment those shares are sold, the next people who buy shares are just buying the shares from somebody who already owns the shares, right? And therefore, that money is not being invested in the country, company. You're just buying a share from another person, giving that person your money, and they give you the share, right? So investing is really only in that first moment when the IPO goes. That first tranche of shares is a direct investment. And after that, it's not. What you're doing is basically gambling, right? And that's essentially what the stock market is, a large legalized gambling system. Now, it's not the same as a casino, because it's not as much just kind of random chance of which card you pull or the roulette wheel, right? It's based on company profits, and there's a lot more transparency. Companies will show their revenue. You can know how many employees they have, how many factories are. You can see the products. If you invest in Apple, you probably have an iPad or an iMac or an iPhone. You There's tangible stuff that you can see. And then the, the share price is highly correlated to basic economic factors and company performance. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Right. So that's the first thing to realize is that buying stocks for the you know, overwhelming majority of people is not investing in the company. It is basically a lower risk form of gambling. And you're gambling on the future profits of the company companies whose shares you buy. The same goes with housing. Right, Most people think of homes as investments, and certainly in the last 10, 20 years where home prices have appreciated a lot and people are flipping condos and everything, you get this sense that, wow, I can buy a home for 500 grand and then sell it for a million a few years later, and you know my investment doubles. But again, that's really just recent, and that has kind of seeped into the public consciousness. Houses are much better viewed as savings vehicles, Right. As you pay down your mortgage, this is a form of forced savings since when you sell your home, you get back all of the money that you paid down. So for example, I pay my mortgage every month 
and about $2,500 goes into the principal of the home. That means that you know the amount that I will get when I sell the home goes up by $2,500 because I owe $2,500 less, and it's a kind of a forced savings. Now, of course, if you're lucky, you'll also make a profit on the home, right? And in many markets in the U.S., especially California, New York, you know, the big urban markets and coastal markets, they are seeing huge appreciation. Um, but that's t- not typical from a historical perspective. So again, when you think long term, when you think 30, 40 years, and you include all of the property taxes and the money on repairs, traditionally homes don't return large profits. But they do serve as great savings assets because if you paid your mortgage down, when you sell your home, you get all that cash and you don't owe anything to the bank anymore. So you get all your savings back, hopefully with some you know little return on that. But again, not windfall profit type of returns, right? So anyway, I, that's the first kind of orientation here is to think about the two primary forms of where you people put their money, homes and the stock market as savings vehicles, not investment vehicles. And after the break, I'll talk a little bit more about the stock market and a little on cryptocurrencies as well. Okay, so on to stocks here in more detail, right? The price of a share of a stock, of a company's stock, is typically highly correlated to the expected future profits of a company, right? So a company that's, you know, innovating and doing amazing things and the demand for its product is really soaring and they're showing increased market share, that stock price will go up. And obviously the reverse, right? If a company's product is plagued with problems and it's getting more competitors and the quality is diminishing, the price is going to go down, right? So sometimes, however, stocks become extremely speculative and enter kind of a a bubble phase where the price doesn't seem to be that correlated with really what's happening in terms of the actual revenues, Maybe people become convinced that this company is going to dominate the market in the, in the future. And so it's just an inflated price, even though it's not based on real values. Now, the key thing here is that over the long term of decades, the price is usually pretty closely tied to actual profits and revenue. But you know, companies can go for years, months, sometimes five years, 10 years, where those kind of bubbles persist. And this brings me to a key point. Stocks as, a, as retirement savings, not as gambling, 
but his retirement savings should be considered extremely long-term investments, many decades. So if you're in your 20s and you start putting money into the stock market, you won't begin to touch that probably till your 60s and maybe later. That's 40 years, 50 years. Those are huge time horizons. So the things I'm talking about here are for those time horizons. If you're trying to, you know, flip stocks over months and get in day trade and all that kind of stuff, you're gambling. You're not in, you're not doing retirement savings, you're gambling. And that's a completely different thing. I'm not a gambler and I don't promote gambling and I don't think people should gambling. But if that's your thing, I'm not speaking to you right now, right? With that being said, you should never have money in the stock market that you are going to need to need within a relatively short time horizon, say five years, right? If you know, if there, if you're like knowing that, hey, in five years I'm going to need a lot of my cash because I'm going to, you know, have a, you know, I'm going to retire and I'm going to move, whatever. It shouldn't be in the stock market because, as we know. Stocks can drop a lot in a short time period, and they can stay depressed for a long time. And if you're dependent on that money, you're going to get burned, right? So this is why, as you rely more and more on your retirement savings, or you're getting closer to retiring, you're wise to transfer more and more money out of stocks into safe, less volatile savings vehicles like bonds, etc. Now, again, I want to be clear here, though. For example, if you're in a situation where you could live on your social security for a while, or you have some other savings from something else, from a business that you sold or something, then maybe you're not going to have to rely on your stocks for a long time, then keep it in. The thing is, if you're going to rely on stocks, you know, soon, probably best to start taking it out. But again, if you're not going to need that money for 10, 20, 30 years, keep it in because over time, stocks are, you know, a better long-term investment than just about anything else, right? And again, the past isn't a perfect predictor of the future. You know, if there's world war and climate catastrophe in the next 10, 20 years, stock market's probably not going to do that well, right? So a lot of this is speculative, but, you know, if the world doesn't completely fall apart, chances are stocks are probably going to be a better investment than just about anything else. And again, I flew, I, I slipped into investment when I should have said savings vehicle. But again, this is, you know, it's, it's, we're always told it's an investment. Even for someone like me, it's hard not to use that language. Now, you know, when I hear about people losing their retirement money in stocks, I always feel sad and I shake my head because, again, I go, wow, if you needed that money so badly, why do you have it in stocks, right? It shouldn't have been there, right? But, you know, again, people sometimes have to learn the hard way. Now, one question people ask is whether to buy individual companies or stock indices that are, you know, hundreds of companies in a particular sector, you know, like healthcare or the S&P 500, etc. Just about everybody, in fact, everybody who is start smart and studied in this matter says to buy stock indices, right? This the reason is is that and it doesn't get a lot of media time is because you know, stock indices are not sexy and you're not going to get rich buying stock indices. You can get rich buying Tesla and Apple stock, right? But you're not going to get rich just buying an S&P 500 index fund. And so no one talks about it. America hates boring and loves get rich stories. I know a lot of people who bought Tesla and Apple a long time ago and who have made millions of dollars. And you know what? Great for them. But you know what? 
They were lucky. They weren't smart. Many of them think they were smart, but they weren't, right? There's absolutely no way 20, 30 years ago that when Apple and Tesla were really low priced, that people knew they were going to dominate the industry. And I'll get to Tesla in a moment. Apple had plenty of competitors, and it's absolutely, there's alternative histories where Apple wouldn't be the dominant company it is today. People gambled on them and made a lot of money, but not because they were smart and savvy, but because they were lucky. There were plenty of companies that looked great when they first started. AOL, Netscape, Yahoo, and they're almost broke now. And so you would have lost everything. And you could have lost everything with Apple and Netflix and Tesla, right? But you got lucky if you put it in there. I don't like banking my retirement savings on luck. And that's why I only buy indices funds, index funds and indices. You know, I'm, I don't care about not being filthy rich. I just don't want to lose it all. And so I only buy indices. And if your eggs are in a small number of baskets, your risk is high. And again, I don't want my retirement savings to be in a high risk situation. And I would assume you wouldn't either. Right. It's simple math here. Now, let's look at a couple companies just to show how, you know, how crazy things are. I want to talk about Tesla and Beyond Meat again. So Tesla has gone bonkers in the, in the last few years. It's up well over a thousand percent in recent years, making many people rich. I know people who put 50 grand in who it's now worth over a million. So it's like a million dollars profit on 50 grand in five years, seven years, right? The valuation of Tesla, that is, if you multiply the number of shares times its price, that's the total capital market capitalization of Tesla, it's greater than all other big car manufacturers combined. Now, is this based on realistic expectations that Tesla is going to dominate the global car market for decades to come? Maybe, but it seems way overvalued based on common sense. The other major car makers are getting into EVs in a big way, and the notion that they won't be able to chip away at Tesla's dominance seems highly unlikely to me. I think people are just magical thinking, and I think it's the cult of Elon Musk. So people who have gotten rich on Tesla, good for you. Great. I'm happy. I don't, I don't bemoan people who get rich on gambling. If you gamble and you, you won, good for you. But over the long term, I don't think those valuations are going to hold. Musk is insane. And Tesla will likely have plenty of competition very soon to chip away at its dominance. So I think the people who bought low in Tesla are never going to lose it all. Tesla is a strong company and it's going to be around but I don't think they're going to do, you know, get those type of profits into the future. If anything, I think the share price of Tesla will go down over the next 10, 20 years. And again, that's my time horizon. I'm thinking 10, 20 years, not next month, next year, because I'm not gambling. Now, Beyond Meat is an interesting one. Beyond Meat had its IPO a couple of years ago and de debuted at a share price of $60 which quickly skyrocketed to as high as 220 within that year. Now it's collapsed and it's in the $25 to $30 range. So what happened? A lot of people told me to buy. They know I'm a vegan and I'm really big on alternative proteins. And they said, this is the company to buy. It's going to dominate the industry. Um, but I stuck with my insistence that I never buy individual stocks. Even though Beyond Meat's a great company, I said, you know what? There's going to be a lot of competition in this space. And, you know, I'm not comfortable 
buying one company and putting a lot of money in it, you know, 10, 20, 50 grand, because who knows what this sector is going to look like 10 years. Um, did I feel dumb when it hit 220? No. I was happy for the people who bought it at 60 and was up to 220. And again, I don't really care because I'm holding stocks for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't care what happens in one year. It doesn't mean shit to me. I'm not, I'm not thinking that myopically. Now, will it become, you know, the next Tesla someday? And will it go back up and, you know, rise a thousand percent? Maybe, but likely not, right? Again, there's so much competition in this space that I think it will remain a profitable company, but I don't think it's going to make anybody rich. And in fact, the people who bought it at 200, 220, it's made them a lot poorer and very likely um, they will, you know, that loss will be permanent. Or if not permanent, you know, it will persist for a long time. You know, so again, I'm not a gambler. I'm a saver. And that's what I think is the safe bet going forward. I'm happy to make modest returns, which over decades through compound interest will provide me some security in my old age. I think that's how you all should think about retirement. Not gamble, but be secure. Now, before moving on, you know, to the antidote, I just want to do a few words on cryptocurrency, which has been all the rage this last, you know, few years and decade. I'll keep it very simple. All of it, and I mean 100% of cryptocurrency, is a complete and utter scam. There is no value whatsoever in Bitcoin or these other joke cryptocurrencies, and people who are investing in these at higher valuations are going to lose a lot of money. Of course, the people who buy at the bottom, who set up the Ponzi scheme, are going to make some money before these bubbles burst. But these are all Ponzi schemes. And if you invest in them, maybe you'll get lucky and you'll sell before the bubble bursts and make your cool million. But more likely than not, you're going to lose everything. This is gambling. That is all it is. There is actually no value whatsoever in cryptocurrency. The celebrities who are doing commercials for these schemes are parasites and they should be ashamed. They're convincing ordinary people to risk their money on these worthless jokes of assets. We already have plenty of digital assets. Crypto is like, they, they pretend as if it's this new thing. Has anyone used a credit card before or Venmo? Or do you make automatic payments from your bank account to pay your telephone bill? Well, you're using digital assets. Cryptocurrency provides no benefits to society whatsoever, and it tries to conjure value out of thin air as if by magic. And when something seems too good to be true, it is. It has attracted the worst charlatans of Silicon Valley from the right-wing fascist Peter Thiel to the Twitter tool Jack Dorsey. And the smart people in crypto realize early on to make money on the fees, right? So they're saying, you know what? I'll just charge a percentage for people who buy and sell crypto. So whether it goes up or down, I don't give a fuck. I just make money either way. Those are the people making them billions, right? Um, and, you know, good for them. Again, you know, it's there's nothing illegal about it. But not a single person I know who has invested in crypto even understands it or can make a reasonable case as to the value it provides. It is the tulip craze of the 21st century. Of course, a lot of people are getting rich because those at the top of pyramid schemes always get rich. But most people are going to go broke. And so 
you know, if you want to gamble, crypto's a good gambling vehicle, but it's gambling. And it's like going to Vegas. And if you want to play that, go for it. But there's no value in it whatsoever. It's a sick joke. And I look forward to the day when all of it collapses. So the antidote after the break. everybody well for the antidote for today here i want to just keep this very simple right next to marriage having kids and choosing your career saving for retirement is one of the most consequential decisions you will ever make so thinking about it as savings and not investing is going to get you in the mindset to likely make better more prudent decisions and while savings will never make you extremely rich if you do it over the long term little by little With the beauty of compound interest, you will end up stable and comfortable. And make sure, of course, to max out any matching contributions that your employer gives you because those are immediate 100% gains that can't be beat, right? Just think about it. If if they put in a dollar and you put in a dollar, you know, and they're they're matching your dollar, that's a 100% return right there, right? That cannot be beat. So the purpose here is I want all of you to be financially secure and stable so you can be in this for the long term. So you can be warriors who are you know, ready to put in the decades that we need to get this world in shape. So I hope some of this has been interesting and, and you know, useful for you. And I hope and wish for uh, financial security for you all. So with that, everybody, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it with um, and share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And with that, everybody, stay safe, be well, and enjoy the start of the summer.